So today we have a wonderful man speaking. His name is Michael Becchio. Let's give it up for Michael Becchio. I'm going to pray over you before you get started. Um, Lord, thank you for Mike. I just want to say real quick before I pray over him, um, I trust this man with my whole heart. There is nothing I feel like I could not tell him or anything that I feel like I couldn't expose to him um, for fear of him misunderstanding or misjudging or coming upon some alternate uh, mark that he believes exists based on anything that I could tell him. He believes the best about me and he fights for me in friendship and in intercession. And the thing that I trust most about him, and I want to tell you this before he starts speaking, is he knows the Father God so deeply for who the Father God really is. And that is something really special And when you meet somebody who knows the Father God, the words that they speak kind of carry a different level of gravity. And so I just wanted to honor him in front of you all um, and entrust the trust that I have for him to you so that you can trust him the same. Um, Thank you, Lord, for Mike. Thank you for whatever he's going to share today. And um, thank you, Lord, that we get an opportunity to hear from his heart and from his personal intimacy with you. Um, And God, we just say right now as a people that we will be open to whatever you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you, bro. Thank you, bro. Mark, I feel really... Super honored. Super honored and loved by that. Thank you. And uh, now my heart feels all like it's a puddle and I'm all like mushy. I can pull it together. Here we go. All right. Jesus is so good, isn't he, you guys? So good. Thanks for that. I was going to start with a prayer, but uh, that did the trick. Right in the zone. And we just love your heart, Father. Thank you that we get to share from it and share in it together. Um, I'll start with a story today. Several years ago, I was, so just doing a quick scan here in the audience. Um, Several years ago, I was in a place, one of the things that I did, I had looked at pornography, and I, after that whole experience, I remember just falling to my knees, putting my face on the ground, kind of in a groveling position, right? And doing what I had done many times before when I, you know, sinned before the Lord. And I just began to go, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I just, oh, please, God, to so take cleanse me of this evil. And I'm sorry for my wickedness. And, you know, all these things that just begin to come out. And there was really a heavy sense of, of shame and guiltiness and dirtiness and like, ah, I got to try to make this right with God. And in that moment, the Lord, 
the father said to me so clearly, he said, stop, son. And I paused. And he said, I want you to turn over onto your back and just spread out your arms. But I didn't do it at first because the inner, the habitual place of shame and and feeling like I had to be penitent before the Lord was so ingrained in me. I continued to try to do that. And he told me again, he said, stop, son, stop. I want you to turn on your back and spread your arms. And I just said, Lord, I don't, I can't do that. I can't. I feel so ashamed. I feel so guilty. I feel so dirty. And he said again, he said, son, stop and turn on your back. So I turned on my back and spread my arms, which felt so, so uncomfortable and so vulnerable. You know, when you feel like a shame, you want to hide and go low. And he put me in the opposite, totally exposed, you know, my heart and my soul and everything. And he said, I want you to praise me. And I want you to thank me that you're redeemed in Christ, that you're forgiven by the blood of Jesus, that you are a new creation in Christ, that you're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I want you to give me praise and honor me that that's not who you are, but you're, and oh man, whew, it took a little while. It was, I don't know how many minutes this whole struggle was. And it wasn't that I wanted to resist God. It was that I just didn't feel like my soul could comply because of the inner, you know, tension and the difficulty of, of feeling the weight of my own, you know, mistakes. But as I began to do it, I began to feel my spirit well up and stir. And I began to just honor and glorify and praise Jesus and lift him high and began to declare what he had done and praise him for the cross and for taking all of my sin, past, present, and future to the cross and giving me a new life, circumcising my heart and giving me a new heart, dealing with all of my sin. And that moment marked a significant change in my interactions with God when I felt like I was in a place of falling short or just a place of sin. And even even sometimes which can feel like deliberate sin, right? Because you know better, but you do it anyway. So you kind of feel like it was, you know, like, wow, that was really dumb. But uh, what, it, what it marked was really pressing into these truths that I had read in Scripture and had heard many times, but somehow hadn't gripped me enough to change the way that I responded towards God when I messed up. So that's what we're going to start with. That's our context, a little story there first. And we're going to talk about sin. Sin. Sin, sin, sin. We're going to get real and say, what does it look like now if you're in Christ and how does it affect your relationship with God? Some of you may not like this message or it may mess with you like these kind of truths did with me before. It may go against some deeply ingrained ways of thinking and your beliefs about faith in God. That's okay. You can work it out with the Holy Spirit and take it to the Word. We're going to ask two things, and I'll come back to these a couple times. Number one, can sin separate us from God if we're in Christ? Maybe some of you have heard the phrase, you know, sin separates, right? Can sin separate us from God if we're in Christ? And number two, does sin 
affect our relationship with God? That's a broad question, but I'm going to define it later and, and give some context. But does sin affect, does it? Does it affect, shift, or change our relationship with God? Again, a disclaimer here. Of course, in this message, it's going to be impossible to address and cover um, everything that could be said about sin or every scripture that talks about sin or some of the what-ifs or what about this that some of you may have, which is natural. And again, you can take those to the Holy Spirit and take them to, a word, to the Word or to a mentor or some of you could ask me. There's going to be some, as we're on our journey into any kind of revelation and truth with God, we're going to have questions. But what about in this situation? What about this circumstance? Help me understand this verse, Lord. Um, those things are okay. And I won't be able to cover all those. But let's, uh, let's dive in. So what is the testimony of... Um, is Hannah back there still? Vidmar? That's okay. What time did I start, Hannah? How many minutes ago? Six minutes ago. Perfect. Cool. I asked Hannah if she could pop a timer up on the uh, overhead just for me back there, but not yet. Maybe one of these days. Just help me stay on track. So what does the testimony of God's word say about sin in our lives now? And when I say now, I mean in the new covenant, when you've come to Jesus, you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says you receive him as Lord and Savior, right? What does it say about sin in our lives now if we belong to Jesus? So let's start with some Old Testament declarations concerning our sin. This is pre, uh, pre-Jesus' life and, and the crucifixion and his resurrection. It says in Isaiah, and I'm just going to read these. You guys can try to turn to some of these. There's a lot here, so I'm going to try to take it a little slow. You don't have to catch everything, but there's going to be things that stand out to you. And let, uh, you know, just let some of those hang on the hooks and, um, in your heart. Isaiah 59, verse 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Jeremiah 31, 3, addressing the issue of sin. And the whole book of Jeremiah is about the error of Israel's ways, turning away from God. But the Lord says this, he says, This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And Micah, uh, the prophet Micah says in the seventh chapter, um, verse 19, God will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. And lastly, David in Psalm 103, he says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. You know what I love right there about David is the picture of God's nature and what he's really like that he saw almost like through the lens of Jesus long before um, Jesus was ever on the earth. It was a prophetic insight and revelation David had of the relationship that God truly desired with mankind. And there's so, so much in the Psalms that speak of that. This is one of those times. 
He says, God will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. For he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So what is the context in the Old Testament here? Much of the Old Testament describes the implications of sin and the destruction and the separation that come from it. But prophetically, it speaks of as well God's heart to redeem us and to remove the sin between us. That was God's heart in Christ, to redeem us and to remove the sin between us. So now let's jump to the New Testament reality um, because now we are new creations living in Christ with a new and superior covenant with God. I won't go deeply into covenants, but for anybody that that doesn't make a ton of sense, there's the whole reality. Jesus came as Savior. He took all our sins upon him so that we could be forgiven and we could enter into a whole new relationship and context of connection and interaction with God. Whereas before that is what we call the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. There were a lot of specific laws and specific uh, items that had to be measured up to. Otherwise, we couldn't bridge the gap between us and God. Um, So if you believe in Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior, you have a new reality that you live in. You have to remember that when you read the Old Testament. We always got to see the things in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus because it's always been in God's mind and heart and plan from before the foundation of the world to redeem us in Jesus. Amen? This is going to sound pretty teachy for a while, which is great. I'm just going to keep pushing through. Track with me. We doing okay? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. John chapter 1 verse 29 is John the Baptist who prophetically he went before the Messiah to prepare the way as the book of Isaiah said about him in the Old Testament. And John says this when he sees Jesus appear. In uh, verse 29, it says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says, You know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. I'm going to just hit the stop button just for a sec. If it feels like a little bit of an overwhelming, just like deluge of scripture, this is on purpose. Because I want to hit us again and again and again and again and again with the testimony of what the word says about sin. And there's a reason why there's so many places and so many ways that it deals with this because it's a reality in all of our lives and because of the fallen nature, the majority of us, if not all of us, do struggle 
with the fact that we're imperfect, we do things we know we shouldn't, and we tend to have, if not conscious, subconscious things that put an element of separation between us and the Father. That keep us from inheriting and living in and staying in all the time, all the way, the grace and the goodness and the favor and the kindness and the forgiveness that God has extended to us in Jesus. Let's keep getting this sucker. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 21. I'm reading this in the message because I love the way it says it and I think it stays pretty true to the uh, a more literal translation. It says here, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong, being Adam and Eve, and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting out of trouble, Jesus got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong, but one man said yes to God and put many into righteousness and right standing with God. All that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. But sin did not and does not have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness that we call grace. Come on. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. All sin can do is threaten us with death, and that's the end of it. But grace, because God is putting everything together again through the Messiah, invites us into life, a life that goes on and on in a world without end. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this time in the Amplified Version, which uh, is literal but adds a little more context sometimes. Um, says, uh, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that in Jesus, we would become the righteousness of God. That's a pretty powerful thought right there. Some of these zingers, you could just sit on them for many days and weeks at a time. If you know Jesus, the reality is that God made Christ to be sin on your behalf so that in him you would become the righteousness of God. That is wild. That's not a Passover statement in the scripture and just like acknowledge mental agreement with the concept. That's something that has to be imbibed and taken in and result in a changed way of thinking and living. It goes on in the Amplified to say that is that we would be made acceptable to God and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul writes, again in the Amplified, Now it's not for Abraham's sake alone, it was written in Scripture that his faith was credited to him as righteousness, but for our sake also to whom righteousness will be credited as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was betrayed and crucified because of our sins and was raised from the dead because of our justification, which is our acquittal, absolving us of all sin before God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, In Jesus we have redemption, that is, our deliverance and salvation through his blood which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness 
and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace. Stick with me, guys. We've got a few more here. And the good news is, this is just a sampling of the buffet. Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 21 through 23 says, Although you were previously alienated and hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet God has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister. Okay, that's a sampling of some of the things that the New Testament has to say about sin now and what Jesus did to completely, entirely, fully deal with it. Can I say that maybe we would never say we believe this, but sometimes in our thoughts and emotions we might act like Jesus mostly dealt with our sin, but maybe not fully, truly, completely, entirely, once and for all, all the way. That's an important one to get right. Because if we miss that, the stuff will slip in, the wrong thinking and spots in our heart and without even realizing it, separation and distance will begin to form between our hearts and God. We'll start to slip back into an old covenant mentality that we need to clean up and we need to get right and we need to change in order to be acceptable and to receive God's favor and grace and crazy loving kindness and blessing even when we're blowing it. If I could just say a quick little aside, some of the times I've experienced the most radical blessings of God have been when I really felt like I was blowing it. And man, did that mess with my religiosity. That messed with me. Most of us have some degree of performance or earning stuff (laughs) in us somewhere. God loves to get in there and Squeeze that stuff out of us because he's so good. And you can always trust him. So what now? What is our mindset and our stance because of these things? Here's a few thoughts in scripture. Romans chapter 6 verse 10 through 11 says, For the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to be what? For those of you know, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, Paul writes, Therefore there's no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation and no shame is an amazing Phenomenal way to live in God. And it's a gift that Jesus gave that's meant to be enjoyed. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it could feel 
and has felt like I kind of need to punish myself because it's just like, that's not cool that I did that. But when I stop and see it the other way, it's like, wow, what if I'm not accepting and joyfully receiving the gift that he willingly gave me? He's already dealt with this and taken it away. Wow. Wow. You guys, this is crazy stuff. This doesn't exist anywhere else. Search the whole wide world. It does not exist anywhere else but in Jesus. This kind of freedom, this kind of grace, this kind of loving kindness. And it's all by grace. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. First John, two more scriptures. First John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 says that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just so that he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Just got a little sandwich there. If we say we have no sin, right, we're lying. So, hey, <laughs> Cool. We get to just be honest and real. Man, God, I do have sin. I have messed up. And then the promise is that when we confess our sins, he's faithful to, and he is just in doing this. It is just because of what Jesus has done. It is just for God to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful to do it every single time, and he has proved a just and holy God by forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us of all unrighteousness because he always honors and stands by what he did and dealt with in Jesus. We may waver, but he never will. God doesn't second guess the implications of what Jesus did for you. He doesn't have ups and downs. He never forgets. And who he's promised to be for us. He always is, all the time. Without fail. Though we may forget, he will not forget. 100% of the time, you could be at your worst place. And he'll be at his best all the time. And his best is love. It's loving kindness. It's compassion. It's grace. Because that's who he is. And he never changes. Which makes you and your relationship with him really, really, really secure. Really stable. Stable as a rock. Don't you forget it. It's stable as a rock. It's stable as a rock. It doesn't shift and it doesn't change. We're going to push in a little more. I'm going to stop it here for a sec. I was going to get ahead of myself. Let's go. We love you, Jesus. We glorify you. We thank you for your sacrifice once and for all.
and for bringing us into a relationship that's beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. And a loving kindness and faithfulness and justice towards us and our redemption that is pure and is holy and is eternal. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And lastly, Hebrews chapter 4, the author writes, There is no creature hidden from God's sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that is Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly, hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are. Yet he was without sin. Therefore, 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 you guys, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at our time of need. Let's rewind for a second to that story I told at the beginning. What if I really understood and I really believed this and I laid hold of what God had offered, had imputed to me without disqualifying myself, instead of groveling, what if I could have gone boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and to receive grace in my time of need? And started from the place of, Father, I praise you, I thank you, that I'm forgiven, that I'm made whole, that I'm righteous, that you're just and cleansing me from all unrighteousness, that you've already dealt with all these things once and for all. Thank you, God. You guys, a shift like that will make an astounding, remarkable difference in your relationship with God and the way that you live open-heartedly, free and unashamed in a childlike innocence before God. Were you ready to receive his love and his goodness and his blessing, his kindness and his favor at any time, at all times, because you know, you know how he sees you in Christ, always, no matter what. So what is God's goal here in all these scriptures through Christ? <laughs> I believe it's to remove anything that separates you from him or disqualifies you from his love, his grace, and his goodness. That's why he dealt with sin once and for all in Jesus. Like those scriptures I read. He didn't run the math and miss a number. He paid for all of it once and for all. God knew everything that would need to be paid for and forgiven and dealt with in Christ that we might be the righteousness of God, that we might receive a righteousness that's imputed to us by grace. And because of that, enjoy the same love and goodness and favor that Jesus had 
and has with the Father. Because if he's adopted you through Jesus and you've received the righteousness of Christ, it seems to me like you can look at the life of Jesus and you can know how the Father feels towards you and how he's going to interact with you and connect with you in life. And if that feels off, remember, it's not on his side. It's not on his side that it gets off, yeah? So you can reset to him at any time. Let me read. Um, We're going to do a couple more things. So we hit a little story, some scriptures, a couple points. I'm going to read something that the Lord spoke to me in just a sweet, intimate time I had with him late at night. And um, then I'm going to go into a couple points, some implications as we close out. And then we'll do a little, a short little activation sense of just, just connecting with the Father and letting the Holy Spirit share something with us. I'll read this, this little part first. This, is, this was in the middle of a conversation. I'm not going to read you the first half. So you're going to dive in in the middle of the story here with me and Papa. Papa smiled at me, looking at me with approval and affection. Then he reached out and gently ran his fingers through my hair. My son, I treasure you deeply, and you're a delight to my soul. We embraced, and I buried my head into his chest letting his visceral love envelop my being. Then he said, I like that we're one. Our relationship, our bridge is always intact. There isn't any separation between us. Sin no longer separates in Christ, for you have been separated from your sin. The blood of Christ purifies you from all sin. Your sin has been forgiven. Your sin is taken away. I no longer remember your sin, for I've thrown it into the sea of forgetfulness. In Christ, your sins are forgiven and remembered no more. Sin no longer has a hold on you, so consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, son. (laughs) I think this is the subject that you should stick in for Sunday. The reality of that sin now in Jesus, or the reality of sin now in Jesus, and that sin no longer separates you, any of you in Christ from me, that we are one in Christ and our relational bridge is intact. I won't destroy it. There is no drawbridge that I raise when you're in sin. There's no condemnation or separation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8. Not one iota of it. I've made up my mind. I'm for you and not against you. I have forgiven you in Jesus and your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. By one sacrifice, Christ has made atonement for those who are redeemed, Hebrews 10. What more is there to say? Michael, is this fully true or is it a pipe dream? I don't do half salvations. I don't do partial sanctification. 
In Jesus, I paid for the sins of the whole world, not some of them. It's all or nothing. You can rebel and walk away, but you can't undo grace. You can choose to leave the fold and deny me before men, but you can't undo what I've dealt with and paid for. My side is done and unchanging. You humans may choose to reject me, and that's a different path. But in Christ, you're secure and pure in me because I have taken away your shame and given you, imputed to you, Jesus' righteousness. I think that's worthy of an amen. That's pretty good, huh? I don't know how many of you noticed too, but I counted at least six scriptures that God referenced pulling out of his own word and communicating, you know, these realities, which was super cool. And I just kind of went back and pulled through some of those too for some of the scriptures that I shared with you earlier. God will do that. He knows his word inside and out. He loves to use it. It's pretty cool. So, does sin affect our relationship with God if we're in Christ? Is Jesus our Lord and Savior? Does sin affect our relationship with God? And I want to say, no. That that bridge, Jesus, has been built by God and he will not remove it or destroy it. There's no drawbridge. It's always there. If I had to title this message, I might title it, God Has No Drawbridge. He does not change towards you. He loves you unconditionally. He will never undo or nullify what he's done in Christ. He is 100% in, in relationship all the time, and he has made up his mind. Have you? The best way to make your mind up is to agree with what God says. That brings joy and peace and settledness of soul. So if our actual relationship, that bridge that Jesus built, is not in question, then what is in question, or and if, excuse me, if that's not in question, and the security and solidity of our relationship because of Jesus is not in question. It's because they, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take care of that, and Jesus has given it to us as a gift that he won't take back. We're adopted and we're in. Yeah, come on. Good news. Let's go. You know, you can rejoice when truth hits you too. That's cool also. Let's go. Yeah, God, come on. You're amazing, God. Let's go. You stinking rock. Yeah, bro. <laughs> You're rad, dude. All right, moving on. Um, <laughs> I just love him, man. I just love him. Sometimes I just want to just do jumping jacks for Jesus. Woo. Let's go. He's so good. 
This kind of truth, man, we're going to be rejoicing and celebrating and delighting and praising and lifting high and exalting God forever because of this stuff. Whoo! Whoo! That's when you read in Revelation, it's the lamb that was slain coming out of the center of God's throne to adoration, the praise, the exaltation, and the giving of glory of all of heaven unto Jesus. Whoo! When John was having this revelation, it was said that none were found who could open the scroll except for Jesus, the lamb who was slain. Oh, man, you guys. This stuff should set our soul on fire. Praise you, God. Glorify your name. Worship you, Jesus. So, if our relationship is not in question, what is in question? I would suggest that it's our experience our personal experience of that relationship and our belief in that relationship. That's what's in question. God's side's not in question at all, at all. God's side's not in question at all, at all. That just kind of popped out. I liked it though. Let's go. So if it's our experience of that relationship and our belief in it, good news. That's a very practical, simple switch. Pretty easy. (laughs) Let's go. I mean, I I wish somebody was on the keys. I would have just kept going with that thing, man. Woo! Let's go. Let's go. Maybe (laughs) it can happen. That's right. (laughs) It's kind of a vibe. I already forgot the words. Shoot. At all, at all, God's side's not in question. At all, at all, God's side's not in question. At all, at all, God's side's not in question. At all, at all, whoo, let's go. Man, you guys, sometimes even just silly childlike stuff like that, little silly songs, there have been times I feel like I can't pray and I'm overwhelmed. And this is a little side note. This is a little bonus content for you right here, right now. Um, that I just start singing a silly song and truth pops out. And that just like it gets, it just clears out my soul and my heart. My mind and my spirit just pushes through. And it's just like, ooh, yeah, he's so good all the time. Let's go. God's side's not in question at all, at all. God's side's not in question at all, at all. You can, you, can, you can say no to the enemy by doing that kind of stuff. When that creeper comes around and tries to get you off track and make you think the truth is not the truth, you can just say, uh-uh, because God's side's not in question. At all, at all, God's side's not in question. At all, at all. But you're a liar and I don't believe you. Get out, get out. So anyway, moving on. Here we go. So, a very practical, simple switch. Just get on God's page. We can enjoy a rich experience of that relationship at all times, even when we've messed up or are messing up. I've been in the middle of doing something stupid and had God just start talking to me. And so much love, so much affection. Super duper kind. I'm like, I so don't deserve this right now. And he's like, that's okay. You don't have to deserve it. Jesus deserved it and he gave it to you as a gift. 
And he's like, lives in you. So you're with me right now. I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. And you're with me because you've died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. So even right now, we're in a good place. So, either it's a pipe dream or it's the real deal, huh? Either Jesus did it and did it all, or he didn't. Yeah. So, let's do a quick shift because we're out of time. Let's take a couple minutes. We just do a little check-in, our relationship with God. Yeah? Uh, I'm going to ask Mark to just play a little piano. And here's what I, let's just ask this. And just expect the Holy Spirit to say it or just awaken it in your heart. What area of sin or perceived separation, or maybe we could even define it as lack of your performance, places you're coming up short, you know? What area does the Holy Spirit want to bring up for you that might be just kind of clouding your experience of relationship with him? Sometimes it's one word. You don't have to strive to hear him. Just let him call it up while we take a couple minutes to let him speak to us. And then the good news is, again, it's just a simple shift. We get to exchange that thing for the truth and it's done. So go ahead, Mark, when you're ready. Yeah. Stay up here, watch the clock for a couple minutes, and then we'll close in prayer.
be a part of the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We welcomed members of the family at all times who live in your house, do life with you, always wanted, always accepted. celebrated it's because of you Jesus we honor you we glorify you we lift you high forever and ever you deserve all praise and adoration we thank you Father for being eternally gracious loving and kind and we praise you Holy Spirit for your place in our lives the way that you're always near you always remind us presence of God with us. We praise you. We thank you, God. Release your blessing, the Father's blessing upon all here. In Jesus' name.